morning. All right, let's pray and ask God for help. Father, I know, Lord, that, that nothing can happen here today without your help. Um, Lord, what I pray is, I, I, I pray that, you know, things that will ma- matter a million years from now will happen here today. Things of eternal value. Not, not things of temporal value, Lord, but things of eternal value. I pray that that would take place here today. And, and Lord, you, you showed me through Isaiah 55 that your word does not come back void. But your word accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent out. And, and Lord, I, I pray that your word would, would penetrate deep into the hearts of the people here today. And, and Lord, you've shown me what a treasure this passage is in Romans 8. And, and, I, and, and I ask, Lord, that you would show the people here today what a treasure it is. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. This is a promise laid out in Scripture, but sometimes it can be hard to believe. For the Christian, life can be perplexing. The Bible guarantees the child of God endless promises, eternal life, victory over sin, Triumph over Satan, death conquered. You will be reunited with your loved ones who have died in Christ. You will be raised to life and receive a glorified body that will make your earthly body seem frail. This heavenly body will never get sick, die, or decay. You will never sin again and you will be holy. And you will be ruled by a perfect king who will reign in righteousness This king is Jesus, and you will reign with him. But in your earthly body, this can seem like a million miles away. You want a job, but you can't find one. You desire good health, but it's nowhere to be found. You want children, but you are barren. You want a spouse, but you remain single. Your marriage brings great challenges. You have trouble putting food on the table every week. You feel alone in this world, and every day is an emotional roller coaster. You face insults and persecution from unbelievers because of your witness for Christ. Satan accuses you of your sin day and night. Yes, this describes the life of Christians. But we must remember what the scriptures say. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. You must understand that these trials in your life are being used for your good. Your faithful creator knows what is best for you. You know this because he gave his son for you 2,000 years ago. And so in this present darkness, remember, your future in Christ could not be brighter. Please turn with me in your Bibles uh, to to Romans chapter 8. Uh, we'll be, I'll be, I'm going to be preaching today on Romans 8, 28 through 32. If you're using a Red Pew Bible below the chairs, it is on page 944. And, and you'll notice that there's an outline in your bulletin as well. And I'm going to be preaching uh, not only this week, but, but next week as well. 
And I'm going to be preaching on Romans 8, 28 through 32. Today I'm going to be touching on Romans 8, 28 through 30, and the next week I'll be preaching on uh, 31 and 32. Romans 8, 28 through 32. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Be assured that because God offered up his beloved son for you, every difficult circumstance you face is for your benefit. Be assured that because God gave up his beloved son for you, every difficult circumstance you face is for your benefit. And point number one this morning, if you are a Christian, you are God's chosen child, and he intricately ordains every adversity in your life for his purpose and your ultimate good. If you are a Christian, you are God's chosen child, and he intricately ordains every adversity in your life for his purpose and your ultimate good. I want to give you a little bit of a background here on Romans chapter 8. The letter of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote it to the church in Rome, and they estimate that he wrote it approximately uh, around 57 AD. So this is roughly about 25 years after the death of Christ. And and he wrote this letter while he was in Corinth. And in Romans, Romans chapter 8 is a very special chapter in the Bible. Uh, many theologians say that if, if they could have one chapter in the entire Bible, uh, this would be the one that they would, that they would want to have. Uh, Romans 8 follows, it, it follows Romans chapter 7. Uh, Romans 7, in, in some ways, can be kind of a discouraging, a little more negative chapter uh, especially when you compare it to Romans 8. Uh, in Romans 7, Paul is describing his, his, his struggle with sin, uh, and not only his struggle with sin, but also uh, Christians in general, their struggle with sin. And, and this is what Paul says about his struggle in Romans seven fifteen. He says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And then he says in verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Yep. Can you relate to that? I, I know I can. Romans 8.1 follows with this great encouragement. So we go from Romans 7 to, to, also, to this encouragement in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This means that Because of Jesus, your sins were nailed to the cross with Christ. Your sins are wiped away. 
And there is no guilt when you stand before God. There is no, con- no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then the encouragement continues in Romans 8.28, where Paul writes, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And so when we see this phrase, all things work together for good, the question we need to ask is, who, who does this apply to? Because, you know, some 80% of Americans would identify themselves as a Christian. And, 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 I, and I guarantee you that pretty much all of them, would, if you ask them, do you love God, they would say, you know, I, I do love God, you know. But, but according to this, this verse, this doesn't apply to people who aren't truly Christians. So when Paul says that all things work together for good, he is referring to the people who have truly been born again, who are truly saved by Jesus Christ. And, and we know this by looking at the, the, the second half of the verse. It says, uh, the verse says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So the only people on earth that all things work together for good are those who are called according to his purpose. So this isn't a random thing that just happens in your life. This is something that God, God called you. He, he, didn't call, he didn't just call you in your lifetime. He called you according to his purpose before there even was a creation. Uh, in eternity past, he, you, were, you were called. If you are a Christian, you were called according to his purpose. And you know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. But, we, but the scripture is very clear that not all things work together for good for the unbeliever, for someone who is not a true believer in Christ. Uh, John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So you notice how, what it says there? It says that they, an unbeliever is condemned already. It's not that they will be condemned. It's that they, they currently are under the condemnation of God. John 3.36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is one of the most overlooked verses in the entire Bible. People quote, love to quote John 3.16, but you won't hear them quote John 3.36 because it mentions the wrath of God. The wrath of God remains on the unbeliever. It's on them right now. And, and so any, any good that happens to someone who has not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, someone who is not truly a Christian, any good that they enjoy is, is by the grace of God. It's just God's kindness towards them. It's his goodness to them. It's, it's, it's his goodness towards creation. That every breath they take, every, every good meal they have, every uh, great day they enjoy, it's a gift from God. But, it doesn't, but it, the thing is, for the unbeliever, this may be the closest to heaven they ever get. Um, but it's different for the Christian. It's way different for the Christian. This is the exact opposite. Everything works together for good. And God has been doing this. God has been doing good for you for not just in your life, but he did it in eternity past. He did it 2,000 years ago through Jesus Christ when he died on the cross for your sins. And he's continuing to, he's, he's doing it currently in your life. So let's take a look at verse 29. 
Verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So there's a lot packed into this, this little verse here. And, and the first word I want to focus on here, for, that I want to focus on here is the word foreknew. Uh, we, we, need to, we need to understand what, what the, biblical defini- the biblical definition of this. What, what does it mean for God to know someone? We see it all over the Bible where it says that God knows someone. Uh, Thomas Schreiner said, for God to know in the Old Testament is referring to his covenantal love in which he sets his affection on those whom he has chosen. So, and we see this, we see God's covenantal love shown um, in, in many places in the Bible. We see this in Genesis 18, verses 18 and 19. Uh, this is God speaking to Abraham. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So we see this covenant of love by God. And it says, and this isn't something that just took place in his life. This is something he chose him. God planned this before Abraham was even born and before the world was even created. We see this also in, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, this is Jeremiah writing, Before I for- um, or this is God speaking to Abraham, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So God called Jeremiah before he was born. He set him aside before he was born for the purpose that he had for him. And we see what Jesus says in John chapter 17, verses 6 through 9. This is the high priestly prayer uh, right before Jesus went, the night before Jesus went to the cross uh, when he was praying to the Father. Jesus says, Jesus prays this, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So Jesus is is speaking of people whom the Father has given him to follow him. And then we see the, the, the person who wrote this letter, the letter of Romans, the Apostle Paul, in Galatians 1.15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So Paul, Paul knew that it was God's plan. You know, Paul was a, a great persecutor of Christians. Um, you know, the early church, he was, he was maybe probably the biggest persecutor there was of Christians as a Jew. And when he was on the Damascus Road and, he, and Jesus spoke to him, that was his conversion. And, and afterwards, it it came, you know, God revealed to him that this was God's plan all along, that, that he was chosen by God to preach to the Gentiles. So this is the biblical way of looking at what is, of, of what for, for God to know someone. And, and, so, and so a good way to understand what foreknew means, it means that God loved 
God loved you beforehand. God loved you before you were born. God loved you before there, there even was a creation. Um, and in, in the next word we see here is the word predestined. So verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And what I'm about to read here, what I want you to do uh, is, is imagine. Imag- imagine you coming, be- imagine you're, you, know, you being God's child, and, and imagine you be coming to Christ as I read this. And imagine how God planned this for you. If you are a Christian, imagine how this is what God planned for you before you were even born. Ephesians 1, 3 through 11 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as, as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So we see here that God, God chose you. It says that God chose you before the foundation of the world, that you would be holy, that you would stand before him, holy and blameless before him. And he did this, and the key word is here, he did this in love. It says that in verse 5. He chose you in love to be holy and blameless before him. And, and the reason God has, has, has had this, kind of, this amazing plan for you is because, you know, he chose you, and, and he didn't choose you, you know, just, just you know, without a purpose. He chose you with the purpose of making you holy. You know, God's plan for you is holiness. And we see this in the second half of verse 29, because those whom he predestined, he, conf- he conformed to the image of his Son. So he, he, he chose you in order that you might be made into the image of his Son. And of course, his Son here is, is, is Jesus Christ. And so, Let's look back at verse 28 again. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And then it says, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And so what, what does that mean? It means that everything that takes place in your life, if you are a child of God, if, if you know God, everything that takes place in your life happens for your good. And, and the reason that everything happens for your good. It's because God is creating you. He's, he's forming you. He, he has this design of making you into the image of his son. We saw, you know, and, and, and it's a long road because we saw in Romans 7 how much unlike Christ we are in our natural state. 
You know, we couldn't, we couldn't, when you're born into this world, you couldn't be further from Jesus. You couldn't be more unlike him. But when you are given the Holy Spirit, when you believe in Jesus, when, when this takes place, you can actually now begin the process of holiness. And so this is the reason God, when you're saved, that God has this plan for your life. And it's, and it's not an easy path. It's a painful path. It's a very painful path. You don't become holy through ease. Nobody grows spiritually from, you know, from 10 years of, of ease. It, it, it comes through pain. So every weakness you have, every opposition you face, every illness or physical pain you cope with, every day where you feel like you can't go on, losing your job, losing a friend because of your association with Christ, losing a loved one, being disowned by your family, your battle with your sinful flesh, and, and attacks from the evil one. Uh, these, you know, these examples and so many others are God's plan to make you holy. So, so whenever something bizarre happens in your life and you're thinking, okay, why is this happening? This seems so random. It's, if, if, you're, if you're a Christian, it's not random. God planned this. He's, all, he's planned this all along. He knew your days before there was even one of them. And he plans the difficult circumstances in your life. And this is what gets us through the difficult times, knowing this, knowing that, you know, this is better. This is better than a life of ease. Going through pain is better than a life of ease because I know that I'm being, I'm being created into the image of Jesus Christ and, and, and God will bring that to completion. So, so when you face these, remember what God is doing in you. He's making you like his holy son and this is a lifelong journey. And you never get to a point in your life where you say, I'm there. You, know, you don't get to a point where you're saying, okay, I've reached it. I've reached, the, I've reached the point of holiness. It doesn't work like that. You won't reach the holiness that God has planned for you until, until either Jesus returns or you pass from this life. At the, and more specifically, at the resurrection. You won't be completely holy until that day. Uh, Philippians... Uh, 3.20 and 21 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. And then in 1 John, 1 John 3.2 says, We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. So if you're a Christian, this is coming. This is what you have to look forward to. You're no longer going to be in the flesh that you inherited from Adam and that you currently live in. You, you've been given the Holy Spirit as a deposit for this, and this is your future in Christ. You will be like him. This is God's plan for you so that everything in your life is working towards this. And then, lastly, I want uh, in in uh, in verse twenty nine here. Uh, it says, "I want to touch on what it says: the firstborn among many brothers." Uh, this. So, what does firstborn mean? Uh, it doesn't mean that Jesus had a beginning. We know that uh, Jesus has eternally existed with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So, when Jesus came into the world two thousand years ago. That wasn't the point when he first existed. He already existed way, you know, 
before he was never created, so he, he's eternally existed. Of course, he, he took on flesh, and he was born of the Virgin Mary. So he, he had a, a beginning, I guess you could say, with his flesh, but, not, but he himself, his person, has never had a beginning. So what does firstborn mean? Uh, one author says uh, firstborn signifies the preeminence of Christ. So this is, this is G- Jesus' superior, superiority over all things, over everyone and all things. And another important thing to remember here is that Jesus is the second Adam. The first Adam who, who, we, were all, who we are all like in our natural state, uh, he failed. You know, this, is, this isn't news to a lot of you. I mean, you know this. You know, the first Adam failed. The second Adam succeeded. Jesus lived a perfect life for you. And, and Jesus is, he is the first uh, person. He is the first kind, I guess you could say, of what humanity will be one day. Uh, you know, there, this world is passing away. This world is going to be a thing of the past. Um, and, and, and it will be sooner than we think. And, and Jesus is, Jesus, when he rose from the dead in his glorified body, is what humanity will be once this world passes away and Jesus returns. And so, if you are a Christian, remember that that's your destiny, that you will be a child of God, that you will be holy, that you will be like Jesus, and, and, you, and this second Adam, Jesus, is the first of what you will be. And it's, it's, uh, if that doesn't make you, if that doesn't blow you away, there's something wrong with you. I mean, it's amazing. And then verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And then, so we see the word predestined here again, uh, but we see a new word. We see the word called. And, and maybe many of you have heard this. When you, when you became a Christian, uh, you, you may say, you know what, I, I was called by God at this point in my life. Um, and, and so the word, so the question is, you know, who, who are the ones who are called? And, and the answer is, the ones who are called are the ones who are predestined. So it wasn't that you randomly came to Christ. Someone, a Christian randomly crossed your path, and you heard the gospel, and that you believed in it, and you, and you became a Christian. This wasn't a random event. This was something that God planned for you. So, uh, Ephesians 1, uh, this, listen very closely to this. E- Ephesians 1, 4. Uh, I already read this, but he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And then in verse 13, okay, so you were chosen. And then verse 13, this is what happened in your life if you're a Christian. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And so many of you, you know, some of you became a Christian maybe when you were a little child. And so God called you then. Maybe you were a teenager. Maybe you were in your 30s, 20s or 30s. Maybe it's, maybe it's, you know, halfway through your life, in your 40s or 50s. God calls people at different times. The Apostle Paul wasn't called until he was in his 30s. And look, what God, look how God used him in amazing ways. But God, but as we saw in Galatians, God sets, set aside Paul while he was in his mother, mother uh, before he was in his mother's womb. Amazing. And we see this in Acts 13.48. 
And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many who were appointed to eternal life believed. Okay, so who, so who are the ones who believed in this passage? As many who were appointed to eternal life. So if you are a Christian, you are special to God. You are his chosen child. You are his chosen people. He loves you. He gave his son for you. And we'll talk about that more next week, but it's a, this, this, is not, this is something that we should, you know, pondering this, it, it'll take us an eternity, an eternity to ponder this. We're, we're never going to be able to say, oh, okay, that, that's it. You know, this is something that we can't wrap our minds around, how amazing this is. And so, and the thing is, one, one point I want to make is that the gospel offer is to everybody. That Jesus says in John chapter 6 that anybody who comes to me, I will never cast out. So if you want Jesus, you have him. And, so, and that's how you know you're called. If, if you love Jesus more than anything in this world, and you have like this, this, this inexpressible joy that comes from him when you think of him, and, and when you heard about him, this is, this, is some, this is because God chose you. It's amazing that this isn't a natural, like, it's not a natural thing to love Jesus. Most of the world doesn't love Jesus. They love their boat. They love their car. You know, they, they love their favorite sports team or their, or their job or their success. But if you love Christ above all things, there's something strange about you. You know, it's because you've had this, you've had this miracle new birth that happened and, and it causes you to fall in love with him. And then lastly, uh, we have the word justification here, uh, the word justified. Those whom he called, he also justified. Uh, so we, we see the word here, justification. Wayne Grudem defines it as, this is an instantane, instantaneous legal act of God in which he thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us and declares us to be righteous in his sight. So your sins are forgiven, and, he de- he not, and your sins are not only forgiven, but he declares you to be righteous in his sight. Uh, I heard a pastor tell a story of a, a wealthy Englishman who, who went to go buy a Rolls Royce. And, and any of you know what a Rolls Royce is. It's one of the best cars on the planet. So, so when he went to go purchase this car, uh, the dealer told him that this is a car that will never break down. And so, it, so he purchases the car, and he's thinking, okay, I have a really good car here. Uh, one day, he's driving in France, and, and guess what happens? His car breaks down. And so obviously, very frustrated, he calls, uh, he calls the dealership, and, and he says to them, you know what? The car you said would never break down, broke down. And, and obviously, they're very apologetic. So what do they do? They, they fly out a mechanic to France to fix this man's car. And so the mechanic get, arrives on the scene. He fixes the car. The wealthy man is on his way. And a little time passes, and, and he realizes that he hasn't, re- he hasn't received a bill yet uh, for, for the repair that the mechanic did. And he's thinking, okay, they flew this guy out. He fixed my expensive car. This is going to cost a lot of money. And, and so... He, in, order to, in, in order to get this off his back, he says, I'm, I'm going to call, he, he ends up calling Rolls-Royce, and he says, you know, 
I haven't received a bill yet. I mean, this is probably going to be expensive. I want to get this off my back. Could you just send me the bill and I'll pay for this? Um, so Rolls Royce looks into his system and, and what they tell, this is what they say to him. Sir, there is no evidence of anything ever having gone wrong with your car. <laughs> this, is, this is the Christian right here. There is no evidence that you ever sinned. This is justification. You are justified before God. So every horrible thing you did in your life, every horrible thought, every horrible deed, it's wiped away. It was nailed to the cross. Your sins have been canceled. And, and so you don't, you don't stand before God with just a clean slate and you say, okay, you have a clean slate, now go live and be good. That, it doesn't work like that. Your sins are canceled. The perfect righteousness of Christ, his perfect life is given to you. So when you stand before God, and every one of us is going to stand before Jesus at the judgment seat. When you stand before God, if you are a Christian, if, this has t- if, if you have been justified in it, and if this has taken place in your life, Jesus will look to you and he will say, innocent. There's, you have perfection. You are perfectly righteous. You are sinless. Come into my kingdom. Now, what's scary is that there are a lot of people on this planet who think they are a good person. You hear it all the time. You hear it every day, maybe. This person is a good person. But guess what? Nobody's perfect. And no, everybody is a sinner. And when you, we're all born of Adam and all of us have sinned. So when an unbeliever stands before Jesus at the judgment, Jesus is only going to say one thing to them. Guilty. Depart from me. And then, and then that person will face eternal punishment in hell. And this, this is the truth. This isn't popular, but this is the truth of the Bible. This will take place. And what's the, but the offer is there. Jesus died so that we could have life, so that we could have his righteousness given to us, and we can be born again. So even though you still sin now, all of us, are, all of us I think, can relate to Paul. I, I know we can. In Romans 7, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this sin? If you are in Christ, God sees you as one without sin. It's amazing. And the last word we see here is, glorific- is, is glorified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And, and if you look at this really closely, you'll notice how something, something's strange here because why is this in the past tense? Shouldn't it be, you will be glorified? Or he, he glorifies? But it's in the past tense. So this means that, that if you are in Christ, this is a done deal. That glorifi- being glorified before God, going to heaven, being with Christ, being sinless, no more pain, no more, no more sorrow, no more suffering. This is a reality if you are in Christ. And, and the most pain you will ever face is in this life. And it's in the past tense because it's a done deal to God. But what I want to emphasize here is that this does not teach you to coast. <laughs> You're thinking, okay, I'm a Christian. I'm good. I can just, I can just breeze through the next 30, 40 years and I'm, then I'll go to heaven and I'm good. It doesn't work like that. It, the Christian life is a painful life. It's, it, it's, 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 it's painful. And the same person who wrote this, who wrote glorified it, that it, like it's a done deal, wrote Philippians 2.12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So you need to do your part to stay in the faith. 
And, and as you do your part to stay in the faith, remember that it's not your power who's doing it. Because if it was your power, you would fail. You, if it's your power, you will be an unbeliever 10 years from now. But it's not your power. It's the power of God working within you. We see that all over the scriptures, and it's true. He is the one who's going to preserve you to the end. He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Um, so next week, we're going to be, I'm going to be uh, concluding this uh, with verses 31 and 32. And in these two verses, I can't wait to preach on because it's, um, it's, it, this is the core, this is the message of the Bible. Verses 31 and 32. And so I'd love to see you back next week. Um, but one thing I want to say, too, is that if, if, if you're wondering what it means to be a child of God, if you're wondering how to enter this family and, and, to, and to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and to have his righteousness given to you, uh, we're going to have an elder who's going to be up here after the service so you can talk with him. And also, there are plenty of people here who have, who, who have you know, this has become a reality in their life, and they would love to tell you about it. So, um, so let's close in prayer. Father, um, you know, as I prayed at the beginning, Lord, your word does not come back void. And I, and I pray, Lord, that, you know, that whatever was, was spoken here um, through Romans eight twenty eight through 30 um, will have, you know, will have accomplished the purpose for which it was sent out, Lord. Lord, a million things happen that we cannot see. So, Lord, how foolish are we to judge things by, by what we see with our eyes and and so I, I pray, Lord, that we be faithful to, to trust, Lord, that, that you are doing a mighty work um, in, in the hearts of your people. And, 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 Lord, in the hearts of people who will be your people when they come to know Christ. Um, so, Lord, I go with us this week and, uh, and prepare us um, for, for what you have for us next week as well. We pray for this in Jesus' name.